Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome our guest for this podcast, Tracy Fox, who is president of Food, Nutrition, and Policy Consultants in Washington, D.C. She's had decades of experience working in the federal government and the private sector around issues of nutrition and food policy. Her areas of expertise include child nutrition and school health, nutrition education, food labeling and marketing, federal and state local nutrition policy. She's also served on very influential Institute of Medicine committees uh, around issues of accelerating progress for obesity prevention, front of package, food labeling, and the like. Uh, She served on a number of important committees and has had a number of positions in government and beyond and is a retired commander in the U.S. Navy. So, Tracy, I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really looking forward to this because I think of anybody in the entire country, you have a view of public policy um, by virtue of being in Washington to be an expert on this that is completely rare. So it'll be nice to hear your opinion on this. Let me start off by asking the following question. Um, things are happening at state and local levels, but if we look at, at Washington, some people feel that because Congress is so polarized, partisan, and paralyzed from, from doing things, that we can't really expect much. But I'm wondering if that view of Congress is true, or if, it, if that's true for the recent history, uh, and whether they're passing bills, whether they're getting things accomplished and the like, because that helps set the stage for what we might expect from Washington. Sure. I mean, I think it's a good question, and I think a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen when we had such unprecedented elections in November that really did change the demographics of the House and the Senate. Not the numbers to a huge degree, but it did change the demographics. I think in past years, and certainly the Congress right before the one that took office in January, was one of the least productive, actually the least productive in history since um, since after World War II, really only passing about 220 bills, which was about 70 or 80 less than the previous Congress and about 150 or so less than the previous one. So I think it's true that it was the least productive. If you look at passing bills as productive, there are lots of other ways to measure it, but for the most part, least productive. I do think, though, that there is some optimism with this 113th Congress that just took office because there is um, there is a greater diversity. There, I think, are clearly a huge number of new members that have come into the ranks. Um, 13 in the Senate, 84 in the House, not an insignificant amount of new members, greater diversity in terms of more women, more Hispanics, more um, a greater variety of, um, of Asian Americans, Latinos. So there's a really nice demographic that's coming in that um, for the most part, we can be only hopeful that they can work across the aisle a little bit more. And we're beginning to see some of that even with some of the bipartisan discussions on immigration reform. So I'm hopeful that we can kind of continue to see at least a positive direction because we really, I think it has been fairly negative over the last several years. Well, that's a nice note to begin our discussion on, that you're hopeful about things getting better in in Washington. That's great. What about, um, what are some of the key issues that, that you would identify that you think are most important that are happening in current legislation that's either been passed or is in the mix. Sure. I mean, I think I think the fiscal issues are going to still continue to be front and center on the plate 
with Congress. We have the fiscal um, debates around sequestration, around how to fund the government, um, around hitting up against our debt ceiling. So while we'd like to see, as child obesity advocates, we'd really like to see the agenda be broadened to include physical activity and other nutrition-related things, I think at least for the short term, we really do need to solve those fiscal problems. And I do think that is also going to determine how aggressive we can be on, say, things like the farm bill that does fund the SNAP program, et cetera. So um, I think in the short term, it's going to be fiscal. I think in the longer term, President Obama has laid out a pretty aggressive agenda with climate change and immigration reform. Those are going to be front and center. Um, So I think for some of our issues, nutrition, physical activity, a lot of that's going to happen either within the government agencies that have a little more leeway in terms of their regulations, as well as at the state and local level. Let's talk in a little more detail about an issue that I know you're passionate about, um, school nutrition. Um, Where do we stand with changes in school nutrition? Because I know there's been recent legislation that could really uh, create quite sweeping changes, potentially. Right. There has been some really, really positive steps in that direction. In 2010, not the 112th Congress, but the 111th Congress was a little more productive, and they actually did pass what's called the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act, and that's the legislation that basically oversees the child nutrition programs like school lunch and school breakfast. And there were a number of really positive parts to that legislation. One of them was really um, directing USDA to update the standards, nutrition standards for um, meal serve, breakfast and lunch, and, and USDA was already well on their way to doing that, and they issued their final regulations, which really do strengthen what kids see on their plate in school cafeterias every day. The other thing that the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act did, which was something that we were really excited about in terms of um, progress, was it also directed USDA for the first time to set standards for all the other foods served in schools all the foods that are provided in vending machines, school stores, snack bars, even a la carte that are served in the cafeteria alongside a school meal. So we are anxiously awaiting USDA um, issuing what are called proposed regulations. That's kind of the first step in making these changes where they put a proposal out there, they ask for input, they refine it, and then they finalize it. Um, USDA is a little bit late in getting that proposed rule out. They were supposed to get it out close to a year ago. We were hoping it would come out Um, in 2012. It hasn't come out yet. We're hopeful that it'll come out in the next few months. And I think that's going to be a really, really important next step to kind of continue to promote a really well-rounded, healthy school environment. So that's really exciting. You know, I'd like to ask a question about the process that occurs here, because you mentioned something that a lot of people who aren't deeply involved with uh, public policy may not recognize, that the the federal government may, may pass a law, but it, it'll be broad, and there's still a lot of work to be done after the law is passed in interpreting the law, creating specific criteria that are consistent with the law. And you mentioned that the U.S. Department of Agriculture is the agency that's doing that in the case of school nutrition. And so that introduces opportunity for political pressure from best interests in this process. And I know that's occurred or at least some people claim it's occurred in the way these nutrition standards are being created. So could you explain some of those things? Sure. I think that's um, I think that's a really good point. So Congress does pass a law, and for example, the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act, which basically then directed U.S. Today to do a few things, but you're right, it's, it's generally pretty vague. It's just more generally we want you to update the standards. Congress generally shouldn't be in the business of setting nutrition standards. That's really for the experts and the nutritionists at the Department of Agriculture to do. Mm -hmm. So Congress kind of gives this 
wide sort of range of issues that USDA should then implement, USDA goes forth and develops their regulations. Now, at that point, Congress should be out of it. They're done. They pass the law. Now let the experts at USDA do the process that's necessary, issue the regulations, get public comment, talk with people, make sure they're kind of, you know, building on the best evidence we have out there to improve nutrition standards in the case of school meals. What we saw with the school meal regulatory process was that USDA did come forth and set out some standards that were um, that were good in terms of evidence base. They really wanted to reduce fried foods and French fries because that's unfortunately the number one vegetable, so to speak, and there are lots of others that kids should be eating. So they really placed limits on some starchy vegetables. They fixed um, sort of a, a problem with um, tomato sauce that basically didn't allow a very small amount of it to count as a vegetable as it had for years. And frankly, the potato um, contingent and and interests as well as the pizza interest weighed in. And instead of using the regulatory process to perhaps resolve the issue and um, modify the proposed regulation, they went directly to Congress. And Congress then was able to basically weaken the hard work and the regulations that USDA had done. Now, I think what came out in the final analysis is still very strong, a step in the right direction. But you're right. Um, it should be that then USDA has the ability to continue their regulatory process without a lot of interference. But we see that politics seems to interject itself into a lot of these processes along the way. So with French fries in particular, what are the rules now? What will the new rules permit? They do still limit the – They you're still allowed to have them, but they limit the absolute amount that you're allowed to have throughout the course of a week. And I think they also limit it at breakfast. So it's not as, as strong as it could be. Okay, but they're still in the menu. Yes, absolutely. The, French fries are still allowed to be on the menu. Okay. So it looks like they may not Sadly. lose their number one position no. as Mm-mm. the – that no, but we have seen, most. because there are other requirements for other types of vegetables throughout the course of a week, right. there is more opportunity to get a wider variety on the lunch tray. Okay. Uh, one other bit of uh, legislation I wanted to ask you about has to do with menu labeling. And in the Affordable Care Act, there were the pieces inserted having to do with the required labeling of calories on chain restaurant menus. Can you tell me where that rulemaking sits right now. Sure, I wish I knew. (laughs) If I only knew. Um, So, right, the Affordable Care Act did give the Food and Drug Administration the authority to to basically require chain restaurants to do menu labeling, and FDA did work hard in issuing a proposed regulation um, over a year ago. It's probably been close to two years now, and they did issue a proposed regulation that was pretty good. It had a number of really good provisions to it that really would um, provide menu labeling pretty much across the board for most food establishments. It included grocery stores in addition to chain restaurants. Um, It didn't include a number of other um, entities that serve food like pizza places and bowling alleys. So they got a lot of feedback that menu labeling should be universal and it should really hit places that are serving food to people on a regular basis. Um, Since then, we're still waiting for the final rule and we understand there's a lot of um, sort of discussion and frankly infighting with the grocery stores saying, well, if 
the pizza places don't have to be labeled, we shouldn't have to be labeled, and the pizza place is saying, we're not going to be labeled as much too difficult. We have 543 different types of pizza, so we really can't do this. So at this point, we don't know where the final regulations stand. There's a lot of back and forth going on with companies kind of fighting each other to not want to be labeled, whereas the National Restaurant Association has been great and come forth and said, if we're going to be labeled, everybody else needs to be labeled to kind of level the playing field. So good question. I wish I knew where they stood, but that's some of the infighting that's going on. And I, as I understand, the timetable for these things getting worked out is unclear. Unclear, exactly. Another interesting and controversial topic I'd like to get your input on and on is the, the use of SNAP benefits, uh, what used to be called food stamps, for purchase of things like sugared beverages. And um, I know this is controversial because the public health community feels that it's a stupid idea for government to be buying, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of soda every year with food stamps. And um, the, but the hunger community feels quite differently about it, and and some folks in that community have come out quite strongly opposed to any restriction of the use of SNAP benefits. In fact, one of our previous guests for a podcast was Ed Cooney of the Congressional Hunger Caucus, and. Um, I, for, I urge our listeners to go listen to that podcast because it's very informative about that particular point of view. So I was wondering what you thought about that, and if you if you see there's any likelihood in the near future, even distant future, that government would consider looking more closely at the nutritional consequences of the, the SNAP program. Mm-hmm. There certainly is a lot of interest in that area, like you said, and I know Ed well, and we're in many discussions and meetings together in Washington, D.C. Um, I think I I would really like to see some um, good research in that space to be able to kind of answer some of the questions that many just speculate right now. Is there going to be um, you know, is there going to be stigmatization in the grocery store if you call out somebody because they have a SNAP benefit and they're not able to purchase something? So these are some of the questions that I would really like to see answered before there can be a definitive answer. I'd also like to see, does it really impact their purchases? Does it really provide um, more incentive to purchase healthier things? I think we also need to be careful, especially in this climate of cutting programs right and left because of our fiscal dilemmas that it isn't used as well if we're going to be cutting out the ability to purchase these and we can also cut the benefit. So I do think there are a lot of these questions. Um, you know, some of them I think are, are stronger arguments on a particular side than others, but I think we just need a few more answers. Um, and I'd love to see a really well-designed pilot be approved um, that can really help address those issues. But I think it's a, it's, it is an issue that's going to keep coming up, especially with the increasing research on the negative benefits of sugar-sweetened beverages. So in order for a pilot test to take place, it will require permission from the USDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think they have the political will to approve such a thing? Well, they've had several opportunities in the past and have not approved them. So uh, I think that's really where the sticking point is. And I do think that... Um, if it really is a lack of a well-designed study, then I'd really like to see how a study can be designed that could be approved. Um, if it's something else, then perhaps there needs to be some other mechanisms to provide a little more incentive for USDA to approve them. So a lot of these discussions are going on, as especially as the um, Farm Bill is continuing being debated. I don't see a lot happening in the near future. I see a lot of softening of the ground on this issue for future 
Um, recently, Senator Tom Harkin from Iowa announced that he was not going to run for re-election, and he's been in the Senate for a long time. And I don't know if you would agree, but I think he's been a complete champion for many of these and been more so than just about anybody in Congress, certainly the Senate. Um, do you think his departure will make a difference in this I think area? it will. It's a huge loss for the public health community. He's been, he has really been um, the leader on this front. He's the reason why we have the Prevention and Public Health Fund, which was the biggest infusion of prevention fund that was part of the Affordable Care Act. He's the reason why we have a fruit and vegetable snack program. He's the reason why there's menu labeling. He's the reason why, and you know, the list just goes on, competitive or addressing the snack foods in school. So it is going to be a huge loss. Now, I, I hope that there are, like I said, the Senate uh, and the House demographics have changed, and we do have, I would hope, some some leaders in the wings that are really going to be able to step forth, but he is going to be a huge loss to the public health community. So um, I think that's going to, people are still in mourning with that news. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping, though, that we can really identify some other champions. But you're absolutely right. He's done so much for our efforts. You know, you in the beginning of our discussion today and also just now, um, you were hopeful that things might move faster on the nutrition front because of the changing dynamics of Congress. But I'm curious about what your thinking is on that because um, it, there are more women in Congress and people from various racial groups and ethnic groups now compared to before. But why wouldn't they be subject to the same old political pressures that are driving the partisanship in the first place? Well, I mean, I think that's a good point. There's always going to be, especially in the House, when you have you come into office and the next day you're campaigning to keep your seat. Um, a little different in the Senate with a six-year term, but it's still difficult and there's still a lot of that influence. I'm just more hopeful in terms of being able to see the importance of bipartisanship. And I do think um, the Republicans took a little bit of a hit in this last election, and I think many would say it's because there really wasn't enough bipartisanship. There wasn't reaching across the aisle on both sides are guilty of that. So I do hope that while there's always going to be political influence, there's also going to be more incentive to get things done because the American public just is not going to put up with a do-nothing Congress much longer, and people are going to keep getting voted out. So if that means you're going to have to reach across the aisle and compromise, then that's going to have to be the case. And I think we're seeing a little bit of the shifting of the sand in that sense. Well, when you put this all together, are you optimistic about the future? Are you encouraged about the way things are going? I am. I mean, I am. I know it seems like, especially with some of the bickering that goes on on the Hill these days and all of the discussions, it seems like we've just been under this cloud of fiscal, fiscal, fiscal until this is resolved. We can't really go forth. But I am optimistic. I'm optimistic both in terms of, I think, um, the the focus that has been placed on child obesity and, the, and obesity in general and the importance of it not being, oh, that's just one of those fun to work on kind of policy things because it's just helping people, you know, eat better. It's much more than that. It's a huge burden on our health care system, billions and billions of dollars every year. So I do think that that finally has gotten across. That is not a nice issue, a fun issue. It is a really important issue for a health care system, for the um, for the fiscal stability of this country. Um, and I see so much going on at the state and local level. There's so many exciting, innovative things that Honestly, when you think about it, everything at the federal level started at the local level or started as an innovative idea in a small town community, and it just trickled its way up as it grew. Momentum, menu labeling happened that way. Getting junk food out of school was all happening across the country. So I am optimistic that those are going to continue. And in fact, 
we almost see a tipping point there. It's like you can't go into a community where there isn't some initiative to address obesity. So that's exciting. That is exciting. It's nice to end on such an optimistic note. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Our guest was Tracy Fox, president of Food, Nutrition, and Policy Consultants in Washington, D.C. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. You'll find a variety of resources on food and food policy issues there, including a list of excellent podcasts that we've recorded with other visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.